0: And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. Sometimes you hit rock bottom, and then sometimes you hit rock bottom again. What's up, Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world today. Today's episode, I am joined by my friend and fellow podcaster, Eric Zimmer, who just... The guy has just an incredible story. He is a behavioral coach, he's an author, and he is the host of the One You Feed podcast. And he's on a mission that is inspired to have a greater understanding of how our our minds work and how to intentionally create the lives that we wanna live. At 24 years old, Eric was homeless, addicted to heroin and facing a long prison sentence. And this guy's journey, his story to be where he is today and having a, a podcast that I've been listening to for a long time it's really an honor to have him on the show to talk about his journey, his struggles with addiction, his struggle through hitting rock bottom multiple times, his struggles in trying to figure out who he was at such a young age, despite not even having like the big T trauma, but instead having a lot of these little traumas that just added up. And as someone who has gone through the the throes of trying to figure out identity, I, I resonate and I actually parallel with Eric in so many different ways because our journeys are are very similar. I mean, they're very different, but they're still very similar, like many of our journeys are. And this conversation is heartfelt and honest and vulnerable and beautiful. And I hope it's one that you'll stick around and you'll listen to because you know, often on this show, of course, we're very practicality-based. That's one of the things that I love about being able to host this show. But on the occasion, you just you have somebody and you're sitting with them and you're just like we all know to journal we all know to meditate like we all know these things so can we just sit and have a conversation and and you'll hear <laughs> you'll hear eric reference the j word which means journaling in the context of this conversation because i said hey man let, let's not go that route let's you and i have a conversation today and and that's what we did i I was lucky enough to be a guest on his show um and it's an honor to have him here on think unbroken to share his journey his story with you guys the unbroken nation i know that you're going to get so much out of this because i certainly did and it's a conversation i'll remember forever so without further ado my friends let's get into the show Hey, what's up Unbroken Nation? Welcome to the Think Unbroken podcast. I'm your host, Michael Unbroken, and this podcast is about helping trauma survivors let go of the past, overcome their fear, discover their identity, become the hero of their own story, and ultimately to be Dot thinkunbroken.com That's book.thinkunbroken.com, where you can get a copy of my number one bestselling book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma. The most important thing that you can ever do, my friends, is show up for yourself, and that's where you are today. And I appreciate you. I have massive gratitude for you. And without further ado, let's get into the show. We'll be right back to the show. But before we do, I want to take a moment and tell you about my new book, Unbroken man, a man's guide to being the hero of their own story. I sat down a few months ago and realized that there are so many men in the world that need guidance, that need support, that need to learn about trauma, removing themselves from toxic masculinity, breaking down the barriers to vulnerability, getting unstuck, and ultimately learning the tools to become the hero of their own story. Unbroken Man is available for pre-order right now if you go to men.thinkunbroken.com, where you'll also get access to over $1,000 in bonuses, including the six-week in-depth trauma healing coaching. App, which you'll get instant access to. I created Unbroken Man to be accessible to everyone around the world, but it is written for men from the guise of a man. And I hope that you will find it to be a practical tool on your healing journey in the same way that thousands of men around the world have. So check out men.thinkunbroken.com to pre order. And until next time, be unbroken. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world today. I'm very excited to be back with you with another episode with my guest, Eric Zimmer, who is a behavioral coach, author, and the host of the One You Feed
1: podcast. Eric, my friend, how are you? What is happening in your world today? I am good, and I am happy to see you again. It's, we, it seems like it wasn't that long ago that we got to talk, and I really enjoyed it. So I'm glad to, glad to do it again.
0: Yeah, same. And, and knowing a little bit about your backstory and who you are, I was like, man, I, I want to have you on this show because, well, I won't tell your backstory for you. So for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today.
1: Well, there's always the long and the short version of that I'll give you maybe the medium version. Um, you know, I'm the the host of the one you feed podcast, as as you mentioned, I do behavioral coaching, I created a, a, a program called spiritual habits. Um, I spent a lot of time in the software industry, in a variety of different roles, I founded a solar energy company. But uh, so much of my story goes back to, um you know, sort of the the big moment in my life was getting sober at the age of 24. I was a, a homeless heroin addict. Um, I was really sick, um, was facing a lot of potentially a lot of jail time. And um, so, you know, I got sober at that point. And then, you know, from then till you know, till now has been a ongoing process of continuing to Uh, heal and grow into the person that that I really want to be.
0: Where did that start for you? You know, I think so. Well, let's back up a little bit because I think most people are going to be like, well, how the fuck do you become a heroin addict at 24? (laughs) what 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 was the causation like as someone who was a drug addict at 12 years old popping pills let me first say that i get it like i was seeking anything to disappear what 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 led you down that path how
1: did you end up in that position well i mean the 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 the, the, the straight factual version is, you know, at it, in high school, I started, uh, you know, playing with drugs and alcohol, like a lot of people did, um, you know, most people try it, um, I had a unusual reaction to it right from the beginning, you know, I used in unusual ways, it didn't become a problem. Um, until uh, I when I turned 18. Um, and, you know, f- when I turned 18, I um, I was in a situation and I'd actually been kind of straight edge for a couple years and I started using again and it was like I was off to the races. And so I started by, you know, drinking and smoking pot. And, uh, you know, then that just sort of escalated and I was in the uh, sort of rock and roll scene in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, I went to band practice one day or, you know, for a while and I was like, what? how are these people more messed up than I am? Like, what is going on here? And uh, they you know, turned out they were they were using heroin, and I uh, tried it and I loved it. And it, um, you know, I don't know that it was that difficult or that different for me than drinking and smoking pot. It's just more physically addictive, and it's a whole lot more expensive. Um, and it's harder to get. And so the consequences for me ratcheted up very, very quickly. And in some ways, I, I look at that as a fortunate thing, because I think I might have been able to keep drinking and, and you know, and and smoking pot for a, a many more years than I did, you know, I, I, I sort of burnt my life to the ground pretty quickly, which, with the uh, benefit of hindsight, I'm like, well, that's actually a pretty good thing.
0: You know, what's funny is I have the same thought. I'm like, I'm really glad I destroyed my life when I was 25. That feels like the right time frame to have done it. Yeah. Um, but I but I also realized, like, you know, there there's a lot of extenuating circumstances that leads a person down that path. And, and my own journey just feeling like, dude, like, uh, growing up in the Midwest, living in Indiana, like, struggling to survive, it was like, what do kids do? They drink and they get high and they have sex and they if you're me, you're still cars and you break into houses and you shoot guns at people like psycho. And you're like, you know, that's, that's the environment. So, so you're in this. And now
1: did you graduate high school? I did. Uh, It was interesting though, because the first two years of high school did not go well they went very poorly. And after my after my sophomore year, my guidance counselor said to me, Look, we can we got two options. At this point, we've got this alternative program. It's a small school down the road, there's 150 kids, and it, it they do school a little different down there. And I'm willing to send you down there and see what it's like, or I can expel you. But I am not doing another year of this, you know, I mean, I was I, we were engaged in an epic game of cat and mouse where I simply was determined to go to school as few days as possible. And so, um, so they sent me off to this alternative program and at first I hated it. I don't think I would have, but then um, it just, it became this incredible thing for me. And it got me through high school. I don't think I would have gotten through high school any other way without it. Um, And so it turned out to be a really positive thing for me. Um, But then after high school is when I started drinking uh, again, and, um, you know, never went to college. Um, Just because my my actions were, you know, I was I was, kind of a full time alcoholic and drug addict. And, and like you, I mean, I, my childhood was, um, I was always in trouble. I mean, I think from the age of like, you know, eight, I was a a kleptomaniac, you know, and I was probably into vandalism before that. I mean, I just was kind of always in, in trouble um, from, from a very early age.
0: You know, I, I, we definitely have that in common. Part of me often wonders is like, you know we we're not that far apart in age and so i think to myself you know there's a generation of kids we would just come home and do our whatever we wanted to right and from a very young age i was left to my own devices i like seven years old i'm like cooking i'm by myself at home it's <laughs> chaos man and and you know when in, in high school it's funny i had the same exact thing my first two years nightmarish right and then i sat down with the dean and he basically goes look dude we're expelling you. You got busted selling drugs. It's game over. Uh, here's what's going to happen. There's an alternative program. Same <laughs> thing. You're either going to do this or good luck with the rest of your life. And I was like, all right. Now, of course, I still didn't graduate high school, but you know, I think that's part of the. <laughs> I think that's part of the journey of the chaos. So, all right. So you make it through high school. You're you head back into this lifestyle, and you find yourself now. What I would assume, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so you please take this away, but I, I would assume kind of like where I found myself, where I was like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this fix. And and my fix was like women and alcohol and partying. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just, it was like, dude, I don't care if I'm up till four in the morning and I got to get up at five. Like, I'm going to do the craziest shit. Was that what you were experiencing? Pretty much. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was that was kind of it. It was, I mean, I worked a series of really crappy jobs, um, you know, in restaurants, um, you know, doing whatever I could do to just sort of barely make ends meet, and you know, played in a in a bunch of bands, and um, yeah, partied all the time. That was that was life, you know, for from eighteen to you know nearly twenty five. Were you still in Columbus? I well, part of that time, I went to um, I moved to San Francisco for a couple of years, um, thinking that might uh, help me. Um, which it did not. I mean, my first night in San Francisco, uh, I came to on a park bench somewhere in Oakland, I had, you know, I had no idea where I was, I had no idea how I got there. And that more or less, you know, that that's like what life in Columbus was like. And I just kept doing it out there. And I ended up coming back to Columbus when I got arrested in San Francisco, and gotten a lot of trouble for stealing and uh just sort of hightailed it back to columbus and and so uh i was in columbus a lot of that time but not all of it
0: you know the thing that comes to mind eric is that that old adage is like wherever you go there you are yep and and that was dude same it's funny these parallels are incredible to me and but but i think the unfortunate side is these parallels are so common for so many people and you know as as i shared with you it was this rock bottom moment that ultimately is the thing that transformed my life. What, what was the crux of change for you?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I can, I can tell you about, you know, the last, uh, the the time that, you know, that I got sober then, Um, and I was sober for eight years, and then I went out and drank again. And that's kind of another interesting part of my story. Um, But I can tell you about kind of what happened that got me sober for that eight year period. And I will, I think what that misses though, is all the stuff that happened up to that point, you know, like I moved to San Francisco, because I knew things weren't right. I knew I was out of control. And I thought, well, maybe if I do this, and so there were all these attempts in those, in those years, you know, very halting, very occasional, but there were attempts to try and do something differently. You know, I ended up moving to this little town in Connecticut on the, on the water in Connecticut, uh, thinking if I go there, they don't have heroin there. And I will that th- you know, that's my problem. And so I went there and I drank and I partied and I did all that. And then sure enough, it wasn't very long before I was, you know, lying to people saying I need to borrow your car for whatever reason and driving it two and a half hours to a city that I knew would have heroin. So that same thing kind of trying that but the thing that got me, you know, quote unquote, sober was, um I got I was living in a van, and the van was owned by this restaurant that I worked at. And this restaurant was where I was stealing um, a fair amount of the money. I had like a $300 a day heroin habit at that point. And uh, one night I was working, and a couple police officers came in the front door. And they walked all the way through the restaurant and they kept coming and they kept coming and they came into the kitchen and they said, are you Eric Zimmer? And I said, well, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I want to answer that question, right? Um, and uh, I was hauled out of there in handcuffs. And um, in that moment, I lost the place I was living. I lost my money, the, the way I was going to get drugs, uh, the, the, the finances, and I went into detox because I was simply just out of ideas. I just was like, I don't know what to do. And I'm going to be really sick tomorrow. And I don't know where I'm going to come up with $300. So I went into detox. And while I was in detox, they said, Well, you really need more help than like a four day detox, man, like you need to, you know, you've been in and out of rehabs, like none of this has worked, you need you need to go to our 30 day program. And I said, No, I don't think so and i went back to my room and i just had as as we refer to him you know in in recovery uh, a moment of clarity and my moment of clarity was like if i go back out there i'm either going to die or i'm going to go to jail right i had hepatitis c i weighed 100 pounds um i had i you know i was facing uh, several major felonies at that point um it just i just had that moment where i was like this is i i, I just need to go into this 30-day treatment program and that really sort of kicked off my recovery so that's kind of what did it you know but as i said there th- lots of moments leading up to that
0: yeah you know it, it's funny because somebody asked me recently they're like well, what was rock bottom like for you? And I was like, dude, it was like a thousand fucking rock bottoms. Yeah, it was like it was like how many rock bottoms can I have? And then it was, you know, for lack of a better way to phrase it, for me, it was like coming to Jesus moment. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, dude, what are you gonna do here? It's cl- this massive clarity washed over me, realizing that I was letting myself down, that I'm playing the victim, that I'm blaming everybody else. W- when you're in this moment, you know, and, and you're like contemplating that's the area in which everything changes for people Mm -hmm. right you have a decision to make and hearing this in this moment like how do you how do you navigate clarity when like this poison is trying to get its way out (laughs) of your body
1: I I don't know I mean it, it is one of those mysteries I do think I've talked to a lot of people, I've been around recovery for, I don't know, 25 plus years, you know, there were a few years, I went back out drinking, but I've been around recover people in recovery. For a long time, I've interviewed countless people. And honestly, how, why some of us get it, and some of us don't is a mystery to me. I don't know what caused me in that moment to say, Okay, yeah, I'll go, you know, and then what caused me to stay in treatment. And then, you know, because I know so many people who did a lot of the things I did. And they're not here today. They didn't make it, you know. Um, And I had I I know a lot of people who didn't make it also because I think I had a lot of advantages over a lot of people who come into recovery. Um, I was I I think I had I had. um, Yeah, I had some advantages, but even other people I know who had those same advantages. I don't know why I'm here and they're not. So I mean, I can tell you kind of what I did, but how I found the clarity, what I do think is interesting is we talk a lot in recovery about um, consequence and hitting bottom. And I do think there is an element of that that's important. There has to be some degree of like this really sucks. Like, like, but I don't think that's enough. What I think happened somehow for me was that around the same time that was happening somehow there was some hope that was also interjected and i think the combination of like being sort of seeing the having the consequences and and the and the fear and the 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 reason to stay sober because of the consequences and then also being somehow given hope that maybe it could actually get different was those two things I think makes for sort of a fertile ground for recovery to sprout from because I'd certainly had um, I'd certainly had the, 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 the rock bottoms, maybe not that low, but I mean, I'd certainly had them before and it didn't it didn't do anything. So I, you know, I don't know what made that moment different. Um, but there was enough that was different. And then I was willing to sort of day by day do my best from there to kind of live into that.
0: Yeah, I, I resonate with that a lot. You know, I, I think about these moments of, you know, finding out another one of my friends has been murdered and just being like, what advantage do I have that they don't? Same neighborhood, same family style, same education. Yep. And it's like, here I am all these years later and they're not. And you think to yourself, like, wow, that that must mean something, you know, and, and so often, you know, people will throw these opportunities away. And and I, I'll say this when I was like, fuck this, I'm cleaning my life up. It was three years of just massive suffering, Eric, <laughs> where I was just like, dude, oh, my God, I just did that thing again. This is a nightmare. And the one thing that you alluded to that I held on to so strongly that I think was truly a catalyst for where I'm at today was hope. Yeah. I was just like, somehow I think this is gonna fucking work. Just can I show up today? Can I do the thing? So often on shows and podcasts and these kind of people just jump. They're like, and then everything was better. What was it like for you in that space of Alright, I'm gonna step into the unknown. I'm gonna do 30 days. I'm gonna try to be sober
1: You know, like you I look at it in some ways There's a there's a real specialness to that time for me, you know, there was a lot of beauty in in What I was doing and there was a lot of You know a lot of pain and suffering. It did not feel good. I mean, I was doing drugs and alcohol for a reason You know, and I took those away and I wasn't suddenly like, oh, everything's better, right? I took those away and I was like, oh, I kind of see why I was, you know, there's a reason, you know, and and that's the thing I think that we often don't talk about, like you said, with recovery is we we have this like, oh, when you stop using your life, we'll get better. Well, yes, probably in some ways, but in some ways, your internal life may not feel better. You might actually feel worse for a while you know, you might actually feel worse. And um, I often say, you know, getting or or being sober, I think is awesome. Getting sober is kind of nightmarish to me. You know, like, I I stay sober a lot of times because I'm simply like, I don't ever want to have to do it again. (laughs) Like, it's this is okay, I got this. This is pretty straightforward. I can handle this. Getting sober to me, you know, is always been it's been it's been a miserable Sort of, um, you know, it's, it's a very difficult experience. Um, and now I think I've forgotten the, the, the question.
0: Yeah, no, you're fine. Uh, you know, I think <laughs> about this, this space of in that sobriety, I think the heart and I'm curious about your thoughts on this. I think the, the hardest aspect of it is the actually having to sit with yourself yeah and and i recall like like i never thought i was an alcoholic um i still to this day don't i never thought i was a drug addict i never thought i was a sexaholic that, you know, whatever that thing aholic was work whatever it may be i was just like anything but fillings.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah well what's interesting for me is and your uranized you backgrounds are a little bit different i mean you your your trauma is you know a lot of what you know in the trauma world we might call capital t trauma right Mm -hmm. and my trauma is a lot of what we would call lowercase t trauma like just a long time of sort of being you know uh sort of neglected and um you know not just just not not parental figures that knew what to do with a child like me um and so for me the, the, big, the big feeling for me, a lot of it was, I couldn't stand how I think I'd gotten so good at deadening my feelings, even before I started doing drugs and alcohol, that drugs and alcohol in some ways for me were the only way I could ever feel alive. Mm-hmm. And I felt dead otherwise. And so the feeling that was really hard for me to sit with was that that just sort of absolute blankness inside, that absolute just nothing seems to matter, nothing seems to have any point, everything seems gray and drab, and then I drink or use in the world, at least for a little while. Sorry about that. The world at least for a little while seems to look like it's worth living for a little while. And then I get sober again and it's back to that like why bother what's the point feeling. Yeah.
0: There there's like a self-tyranny and nihilism that comes along with that feeling. Yeah. You know, at least for me that that's how it was and you know, I I've found that now it's like I can have a glass of wine and my life isn't upside down. And and that's come from realizing, like you said, there was a reason, dude, the reason I was partying like a psycho is because like I had not stepped into any aspect of value for myself. And, and I think that's unfortunate uh, and an uh, unfortunate truth for many, many people. So you're going through this, you're in this process, you're stepping into sobriety. I, I assume that in this you were probably like trying to rebuild your relationship with yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got sober in a in traditional 12 step, you know, AA in Central Ohio in 1995, right? Like it was a, you know, it, it so there was um you know, a, a big focus was um building a relationship with a higher power. Um you know, creating, you know, repairing relationships around you. But yeah, so much of it, I think, so much of my journey in sobriety has been, yes, building a relationship with myself so that I'm comfortable in my own skin, you know, so that I I feel like, you know, that I don't have the need to change my consciousness all the time. I I want to find the right way to phrase this.
0: The journey I went through into understanding what you just said was so incredibly arduous that i I did not want to live any longer mm. because I was like being me is really hard. How did you step
1: into that? Mm. I guess I could trot out the old one day at a time cliche. <laughs> 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 you know how did I step into it um with a lot of uh, a lot of help and a lot of support and a lot of modeling for from people who went who went before me and um and a lot of reading and a lot of yeah all, all of the above I mean therapy reading um you told me I couldn't use the j word so I won't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that J words journaling by the way. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and, you know, but yeah, talking, you know, talking to people, I there's, there's, there's a number of things about 12 step programs that, that I don't love. And I sometimes I'm a little envious of people who get sober today. Cause there's so many things on offer, um, mm-hmm. that simply weren't went in 1995, um, they just worked and um
0: we'll be right back but i wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about the think unbroken 6 week trauma healing coaching program if you go to coaching.thinkunbroken.com that's coaching.thinkunbroken.com you can sign up for the 6 week daily Think Unbroken Trauma Healing Coaching Program. In this program, we're going to go over the six principles of healing trauma, adaptation, understanding the impacts of trauma, how to become the hero of your own story, what to do next, and ultimately, what it means to be unbroken. For more information about this six-week coaching program, which you can download as an app on your phone and take with you everywhere, no matter where you are in the world, it's interactive, it's built about giving you practical tools that you can use in real time. And if you're ready for what's next in your life, go to coaching.thinkunbroken.com. Again, that's coaching.thinkunbroken.com. Now let's get back
1: to the show. And yet for me, the, the thing that was so critically important was to be around other people who were, were like me you know, and, and to hear other people share and to, to hear myself share and, and to talk about what was going on. I think that's, that was the, those were some of the early, really important steps.
0: Yeah. I I've seen that myself. And for me, it was stepping into men's group therapy. Mm-hmm. Like I, I literally went across the country to join this group. Cause I was like anything it takes, you know, and I, and I don't share this often publicly, but you know, growing up, I used to go to AA with my mom when I was like seven, eight years old, and you would just watch this, and I'd be like, "But can't they just stop? Right? <laughs> what what is happening here?" And then you realize it's 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 never the thing that's the problem; it's the thing that you're not dealing with that leads to the problem. Yeah. And, and so now you you faced this, you stepped into the willingness to figure out who the hell you are. You're asking for help. You're doing the things that I would argue look, it's acknowledgement, it's community, it's asking for help, it's follow through, it's action, it's all yeah. those things. So, talk about sobriety just as a whole, the experience of that as you stepped into it in this newfound place of knowing who Eric is, or at least figuring out who Eric is.
1: Well, it's really interesting because I did mention that uh, after about eight years sober, I went out and uh, drank again. And um, I don't mean like had a glass of wine now and again. I mean like got, you know, drank and, and, and went back to smoking pot to the point that I had to get sober again. I've now been sober 15 years since then. Um, but I clearly had not um, learned enough about myself because i went you know like i said i did go back out and so um there was you know there was there was a lot more uh learning to do and that and when i came back after that um i feel like i went even deeper into um really getting to know myself at that point like you did i did some really pivotal men's therapy for myself i got re- i had to really think deeply like what does if I'm going to come back and go to to AA, which says that a spiritual life is the way we get better, what does that mean to me? Because the first time around, I think I just made myself believe what people around me believed. And that was enough to get me sober. But it wasn't enough for me to handle things when some things in my life went really upside down. And um, so I think it was, you know, that that knowing who I am and growing into it was a ongoing and still is obviously an ongoing process.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I tell people all the time when they come into coaching, when they get into programs, when they step into think unbroken, it's like, this is a rest of your life game. Like, like when you make this decision, you're going to realize the healing journey isn't over just because you listen to a podcast or read a book (laughs) or, you know, went to a conference one time. Cause even dude, 12 years, almost 12 years into this, I have my moments where I'm like, holy crap, dude, this feels like everything is backwards. And then you realize like, wait a second, hold on, pause. What's actually happening? Why am I triggered? Let me go through and assess the tools that I have. And then if I need to reach out, one one of the great benefits I've been able to, to acquire in my life is a, a therapist that I can speed dial, and you know that's that's one of those things where it's like on the rare occasion I'm like, yo, I need a session this week. When can we make this happen? And and I think that's so much about it. You still, even after all the work, you have to keep being willing to ask for help. So you go through this. You're you 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 have this understanding, and you fall backwards. Yeah. And this is where most people quit. They're like eight years. My life is a disaster. <laughs> I cannot believe I did this. I might as well
1: quit. Why didn't you? Well, I did for a number of years. I mean, I drank and and, and smoked pot again after I went back out for probably three to four years. Um, it's really interesting because the first time that I got sober... I had pretty much burnt my life to the ground the second time around when I went back out and I was drinking and, 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 and and smoking weed. And when I mean smoking weed, I mean like sun up to sun down kind of, kind of thing. You know, um, I was, I was, I had made a career for myself. I was, I was in a professional career, um, in the software development space. Um, I was, Um, making more money than I'd ever made. Everything on the outside looked really good. Um, But I knew on the inside, I had the insight of knowing what it felt like to be, what it felt like inside to be out of control. And I knew that um, I was out of control. And I knew that it was a matter of time until consequences started coming. Um, And so yeah it was really hard to come back it was hard to come back because a like i said on the outside everything looked fine and so it's it i just i had not had my uh ass kicked as bad at that point right i just hadn't yet um it was a little more intellectual the first time it was like i had just been i mean the the pain of being whipped was fresh you know <laughs> now it was like well i really don't want to get whipped you know um so, so there was that. And then there was the, yeah, to your point, it was like, I can't believe I've got to go back. I mean, I was like, you know, when I was in AA, it was like Mr. AA, right? Like sponsoring so many people. And now I got to go back and be like, uh, I got a day. It was hard. I mean, the second time around was harder for me than the first time. There's no doubt to me that it it felt harder the second time. Um, and I just, I, I, I look at the second time. I'm like, I don't even know how I kept going, but for some reason I did. I just one day at a time, you know, I kept, one of the things was I kept looking, I had a son and I kept looking at my son who was, you know, let's say eight or nine. And I kept thinking to myself, do I really need to get in a car accident with him in the car? Cause I've been drinking. Do I need to do that in order to know that this is a problem? And I just, th- that sort of thinking, I just kept going, no, I, g- I guess I don't have to ride the elevator all the way to the bottom. Um, but it, w- it was tough.
0: Did your family know?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um I was, um, yeah, it's an interesting story because... Um, Yeah, everyone knew that I had gone back out. And I basically had said, Look, I don't think I'm actually after all, I'm an alcoholic, right? I'm now I got sober at 24. I'm now 31, let's say. And I have built, I've gone from being, you know, a homeless heroin addict to, to a pretty successful software executive, right? I've done well you know, and I can I can look at my life and go look, you know, yeah, I was 24. I was doing heroin. That's a terrible idea. Like I've done, you know, I've done all this healing, I've done all this growth, you know, like, I just don't think I've got to I, you know, I think I can handle it, right? Like I make good decisions in other areas of my life. I'm pretty sure I can make good decisions around this. Well, it turned out, no, I couldn't. Um, and it wasn't like the minute that I went out and had a drink again, that my life crumbled, you know, and in, in AA in recovery, we used to be so dramatic. Like if I picked up a drink again, you know, I'd be out, you know, selling my ass for, you know, cocaine in three hours, right? That's not what happened. I had a drink, nothing happened. You know, but over a period of a couple years, it got back to the point where nothing was more important to me than getting high. It was more important to me than my job, my son, anything you know, and I hate to say that, but it's true. And, but I was able to sort of see that and that, you know, I, I had that, um. again, a little bit of clarity enough to go. Uh, this is happening. And, you know, I had a I had a wife at the time, we're not still married. And um. it was a it was, it was lots of things were not good about that marriage, and it, it ended. But she had sort of had enough of me at that point. Um, even though I think, you know, she continued drinking right after I got sober, but she, she had had enough of me. And, um, I mean, there was a, there was a very clear precipitating event that time. And it was, I went out, I'd been on a multi-day binge, like heavy drinking round the clock. And I went over to a friend's house one night and the next thing I know I'm coming to, and it's like 10 AM the next morning. And, um, I I just sort of freaked out because I was like, oh shit, like I did not make it home to get my son up and take him to school. Now my 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 she wasn't my wife then, but she was there, she got him up and took him to school, right? But I had that moment of like, oh my God, like what if he had woken up all by himself? You know, at at like you did at seven in a house by himself on his own um, and the combination of that and how sick I was physically in that moment got me to go. I was like, all right, I'm going to an AA meeting. It sounds like the worst thing in the world, but I'm going, you know, and, and that, that's kind of how I made my way back in.
0: Yeah. And I, I think the willingness to acknowledge that you're about to have to suffer again is really powerful because in my opinion it's like that acknowledgement is what brings you forward you mm-hmm. know because for some people the most difficult thing that they can do is just raise their hand and say i need guidance i need help somebody for the love of god save me i'm on the edge of the building yep. right and and the bravest thing that you can do is just be like yep me over here yes somebody hi and and, and i yep. wish i want to implore that to people like recognizing like we we can't do this alone like and it's not even necessarily like you have to go to aa or you have to do a think unbroken course or you have to you know check out eric's programs it's like do fucking something that's right that's
1: right yeah i I, and i could not agree more i do think we can't we can't do this alone i mean there you hear the every once in a blue moon story about somebody who's like well you know i just quit and i never went i never did anything and you know who knows what the story is with those people, but the vast, vast, vast majority of people need some support. Um, and there's lots of different ways to get it these days. I think that's a great thing. And so, um, but yeah, find, find some help. And and that's a big part of, again, a parallel
0: in our journey, me going, okay, wait a second. I'm going to just offer support to the world as I'm in this, trying to figure out what is happening. And then that thus transpired into what it is now. It's like it's taken on its own life, a- and that's happened for you as well. Talk to talk to me about this. Where where does this idea of service come in? Not only had you been a sponsor before, so obviously there's something in you. Like I want to give back, but now having built something as great as your programs and the book and you know uh, the podcast, which is a phenomenal show. Like, where does that
1: want for you come from? It's interesting because, you know, going back to that story about high school, when I when I went to the alternative program, I was like I said, I was a troubled kid. I mean, I was always in trouble. Um, I was drinking and using in unusual ways. Um, And I went to that alternative program and I ended up founding a tutoring program for disadvantaged children where, you know, we took high school kids high school people from, you know, the high school I was at, it was a, you know, upper middle class suburban high school. And we went and we, we tutored, uh, kids who were disadvantaged. And all of a sudden, like, I became like a model citizen. And what I learned then was like, I, the reason that happened was because doing something for other people just lit something up in me. There was also the entrepreneurial aspect, which I also recognize is a is a key part of, of me making things out of nothing. Um, so when I got into AA and I started finding, you know, I had I was I was around people in AA that said service, do service, do service, and and so I did, and I realized I loved it. Um, and then, you know, to be honest, I kind of got away from it a little bit, and. Um, as I was as I was sober a little bit longer, I founded a solar energy company. And I, I poured all my heart and soul into that for a while. And that eventually I shut it down. And and when I shut that down, I just hit a point where I was a combination of bored and not doing well uh, in my personal life, um, that I got the idea to do the podcast. And I just thought, you know, this sounds like it would be good for me. It sounds like it would be fun. And maybe it'll help somebody else. I mean, I had no idea. Um, but I knew I was reading these sort of books anyway. I knew I was thinking about these sort of things anyway. And I thought, why not just give this a shot? It sounds like it'll be fun. And um, and then it it actually, you know, went very well. And I realized that like, oh, wow, I'm kind of back where I'm happiest when I am um, doing my best to to, you know, help other people and serve other people.
0: Yeah, I I resonate. I had a mentor years ago tell me, he's like, dude, when you're at your lowest, go help other people. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, like, you know, I, I thought about this just the other day. I'd never said this. I thought about this the other, if I didn't do this, if I wasn't doing think unbroken, what the hell would I be doing with my life? yeah you know and it's like 6 years into this thing and and having this big mission and wanting to build this incredible just tool of service for people it's like man this is just it fires me up and and people will be like well you're you're crazy no one i literally have friends who are like you work more than anyone i've ever met and i'm like yeah but like i love it
1: yeah you know yeah it's it's interesting i, I do think that is one of the things that aa figured out really really well and what you know which was this basic idea that like the surest way to remain sober is to help somebody else but the amazing thing the insight i think that 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 was there that I think is so important, and, and sometimes we gloss over it, is that, like, let's say, I, let's say I or to go to an AA meeting tonight, and I'm 15 years sober, and somebody walks in the door, and they're two days sober, and I have a conversation with after them, right? It's easy to see how like, oh, Eric is 15 years sober, and he's helping this other person, he's passing on everything he learned. And, and it's easy for it to look like the benefit is flowing from me to them. And sure some is, but in equal measure, it's flowing from them to me. And that I think was the, the, the insight that AA really found and hit on and, and really developed was when one alcoholic is talking to another, there is a reciprocal magic that happens there that helps both people equally. And I think that's really important. And I often say, because a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to ask for help. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to burden anybody else. I don't want, and I I said, let's not, it's not the way this works. Like when you go and you ask somebody else who's been through what you're going through and, and, and you ask them for help, they're getting as much out of it as you are. You know, and so that for me is the, is the, is that really beautiful insight that it's a, it's this, it's this two way street that, that I think is one of the most beautiful things in the world is when we connect. And I heard somebody say, um, uh, recently, you know, you, you're, you're, you're basically, um, you know, you're, you're. I can't remember the phrase, but it's that basic idea of, you know, when we transfer our, our difficulty, our trauma, our addiction, when we transfer all those things into being able to help others, then those things cease to be a burden and a problem in our life. And they, we start to be able to look at them and go, Oh, this really, you know, this was a gift in some ways.
0: Yeah. And it can be. And if you're willing to step into, The darkness and the difficulty of discovering the gift like it it can be something really powerful i mean you know i think about all of the people that your show has reached and touched and the voices that have been on and the stories and the experiences and it's just like that's what the world needs more of right and this this idea about being able to step into it it almost feels like this aspect where it's like, damn near spiritual, man. Sometimes yeah. I'll throw a show on. and be like, it's like, I just went to church. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, so they should put on, uh, my, my conversation with you because that are definitely going to church.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and, and it's like, there has to be this willingness right? There has to be this willingness to step into the vulnerability. Now, let's be clear. Like you and I, one of the things I do want to bring note to, we're able to have this conversation with that spectrum of emotion removed from it, right? That, that where you're sharing it and it's sucking you in and next thing you know, you're on the ground in the fetal position. Totally. And I think that I want people to hold on to that. We, when we're talking about asking for help, when we're sharing our stories, when we're in this, It. This isn't the first time, right? We're especially definitely not on a public forum. And it took me a decade to get to this point. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm, I am significantly, uh, I imagine older than you. I mean, I'm, I have been around recovery for 27 years. You know, again, a few years of those, a few of those years I was back out drinking, but the, I mean, so what, 23 years, you know, I've been working on this stuff for a long time. Um, and that's not to say that like, you know, you know, it's going to take you 23 years for it to get good. I think it can get better very, very quickly, but yeah, there is a definite, um, it's a, it's a very different, um, place that you're describing, what what you're just saying made me think of something. And it, what it made me think of was, you know, when we think about being vulnerable, um, you know, I realized at one point, there was the basic vulnerability of saying, I need help, I have a problem. And, and, you know, okay, I did that. And I went in and, and I, I did that. But there's, there's lots of, there's a lot of vulnerability uh, that, that continues to come after that that we have to keep doing. And, you know, I find for myself, and I found this, you know, didn't take me that long being sober, you know, get a couple years in, and suddenly start sponsoring people. And all of a sudden, it's harder to be vulnerable. Because you think I should, you know, you know, I should have this figured out. You know, I should have this figured out. And, you know, you let that go on longer and and suddenly become somebody who coaches other people and has a podcast and, and, you know, is, is known for some of this stuff. Like I still have to work on being like, you know, I don't always have it all together. How do I, and it gets, it can get hard to ask for help. I find at this stage in my journey, because there is that sense like, well, shouldn't I, you know shouldn't I always be okay? And the answer is no, of course not. Life is still life. No matter how good you do recovery, no matter how much therapy you do, you know, there's a Buddhist saying I love, and it's that, you know, uh life has the ten thousand joys and the ten thousand sorrows. You're gonna get both. Doesn't matter what you do, you're gonna get both. And when the sorrows hit, doesn't they still hurt? Yeah, they do,
0: and and I resonate with that. And one of the discoveries I've had to make in my own healing journey is just being like, at some point I've had to go to a next level in terms of who I'm seeking guidance from, because when I feel like I'm on the same level as people, and this is not to be dismissive, but if I feel like I'm the same level, my brain will not let me consume whatever they're telling me. It's like the this weird def- defensive mechanism, I know where it comes from built into my childhood, and I go, okay, cool, since I know that, I need to go to a super expert, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I think that's really interesting. I actually have it's right here. It's a little pink post it note. And it says it helps to talk even when you know the answer. And, and and what that is, is that I will get in a position where I'm like, I know, I look, you you do this long enough, that's not like there's any groundbreaking answers out there. Like, I know what to do. I know what the answer is. I know what the response is. It still helps me to share what's happening to me, to another human being, even if I know what they're going to say, because that's not what it's about. Some of the time, that's what it's about. Some of the time, it is about getting a perspective that you can't get uh, on your own, but some of the time, it's simply that connection to another human being and saying, look, I'm, I'm hurting. And just having somebody be there with you and you not be alone and so I have to remind myself of that often that like yes I think I'm pretty sure what they'll tell me but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't go reach out and 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 share how I'm feeling because if I don't if it's it otherwise then I just am locked inside myself all the time
0: yeah and and that's that's a dangerous place right that's the yeah. dangerous game uh, there's a pro and con to that right the The pro is that you're gonna find out real fast, you got some shit you need to work on the The con is that you're gonna find out real fast, you got some shit you need to work on
1: <laughs> yeah yeah
0: right yeah, abso- it,
1: absolutely you know, and i you know I often think of this is making me think of this idea of sometimes thinking about our healing journey as like a spiral staircase. We tend to think it should be linear right. And, and it's not and and what I have found is you, you end up back at like, Oh, this again, this again, you know, and I think thinking of it like a spiral staircase is helpful. Like if you're going up a spiral staircase, and there's a painting on the wall, right? You're going to come by that painting three or four times. But hopefully each time you're coming by at a slightly higher level. So it's like the things that are problematic for us, the big issues, the things that we wrestle with, for my experience is we're going to come back around to them a few different times. But ideally, we're doing it at a slightly higher level. And that helps us from, at least for me, helps me not get discouraged thinking, oh, I should be past that. Well, no, you know, it's, it's there again, um, but I'm, I'm in a slightly different place with it than I was last time.
0: Yeah, I actually really love that analogy. I often think about the fact that we're literally spinning around the sun right now. Chances Mm. are at some point you're coming back to where you started. And and the hope is that when you get back to that, you now will leverage the tools that you've learned over this last rotation that you can execute against that circumvent the potential for rock bottom because you already played that game. And so now it's kind of, I look at it, I go, okay, All right, I fell back. I made a mistake. I fucked up. All right, wait a second. I've been here. I've done this. It's like, you know, a team going to the championship for their seventh time. They've done it. You've been there. You've played this game. You know what it is. So now, can you go in there with the game plan to get yourself out of it? Right. And and I think that's the key.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I've shared on my show a lot that, you know, depression is something that I think I had from when I was just, I mean, very young. And it is something that has been uh, an on again, off again visitor uh, to this day. And what I think I know now is when it's around, I know how to do it a whole lot better. I know how I know how to handle it way better than I used to. It, which is not the same as making it completely go away, which I, I mean if I could I would, right? But I I respond to it so much more wisely than I used to. And that is, you know, um that's to me, you know, the 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 game is how do we respond wisely to the difficulties in life? Because life will keep bringing them, right? We're gonna get old, we're gonna get sick, we're gonna die. The people around us are gonna get old, they're gonna get sick, they're gonna die. I mean, life brings difficulty. So, how do we respond to it wisely? Is to me the whole game. Yeah,
0: I I love that, and that and that's a great place to round off this conversation. And I want people to hold on to what you just said. Cause it's so true. Like figure out that wise way it's, it's there. It's waiting for you. Um, Eric, before I ask you my last question, can you tell everyone where they can find you?
1: Yeah. If you go to one, that's all spelled out. O N E Y O U F E E D.net. You can find the podcast there. You can find the spiritual habits program, um, all the ways to connect with what we're doing. And of course we'll put the links in the show note for the unbroken nation. Eric, my
0: friend, my last question for you, what does it mean to you to be unbroken?
1: I think it means that even with the difficulties that we have in life, there is a to me, there's an underlying unity to all things that, that is, um, it's, it's just deeper than the moment to moment tribulations. And so I think, uh, you know, being unbroken to me is being able to tap into that from time to time, um, and being able to keep hold of that, even in the, even in the difficult moments. So, you know, I think that there will be moments we feel broken because I think life just sometimes does that. But there is um, there's something deeper than that.
0: Brilliantly said, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. Unbroken Nation, thank you so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, share, tell a friend. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see you. Unbroken Nation, hope that you just got a tremendous amount of value from today's episode. I want to know